Isn't it awesome to have our kids leading us this morning? It's awesome, right? Yeah. I'm not sure I would have gotten up here at age and prayed in front of all of you, right? Scary. So, all right. Well, this morning we continue our series, Lakeside. We've been doing this all summer long near the Sea of Galilee, kind of following Jesus around the Sea of Galilee and seeing the kind of things he was doing there. Um, Let's pray together. We'll get started this morning, our story. Lord God, we didn't come here to hear a word from some human preacher. We came here to hear a word from you. So we pray that over the next 20 minutes or so, your Holy Spirit would come around these words, anoint them with your power. You would translate them for different people in the audience who need to hear what you have to say. And Lord Jesus, that you would um, speak to your people. In your name we pray, amen. When I was a little kid, I hated storms with a passion. In fact, uh, I acted like a psychopath when it was going to storm. Whenever it started to storm, I would run around the house and get myself completely freaked out. Uh, We lived on the second story of an apartment building in Broadview, Illinois, when I was a really little boy. And I would look out at the forest preserve behind the house when the storms were coming in, the dark clouds would come over the top of the trees. You know how the trees almost turn white, the leaves like turn around? And then it starts to blow and thunder and cracks of thunder. And I'd be watching out the window just freaking out, crying like a baby. The worst part about it was those weathermen on the TV giving all the warnings, you know, telling you what's going to happen in the storm. You know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. The little words coming across, tornado watch, tornado warning. I didn't know the difference. All the thing I thought was, I'm going to get carried away like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz in this storm, right? This is not going to go well for me. One day, the storm of storms hit our town, and I was going bananas. I was the oldest of five children, so my brothers and sisters took their cue from me. So imagine my poor mom, right? She tried, like, nice talking. She tried yelling at me. She tried sticking me somewhere else. She finally told me to go in the basement. If I was so scared of the storm, go in the basement. So I ran down the stairs weeping like a baby. I know it's hard to believe a man this studly could weep like a baby, but I did. And I went all the way down to the basement, and on the way down, I met my Uncle Bud. He really wasn't my uncle. He was the guy that owned the building. He was kind of a burly Teamster Union type guy, okay? And he kind of said, he he knew this problem existed in my house. He heard me freaking out, so he kind of scooped me up, grabbed me, and he walked right out into the middle of the storm. This is crazy, so now he's got me in the middle of the storm, the lightning, the thunder, the rain's falling on us, and he's just holding me going, hey, look, you're fine. Nothing's happening to you. You're just getting wet. You're fine. Well, I screamed louder. I squirmed a lot. I couldn't get loose from his grip. And eventually, I realized I was fine. I was just hanging out in the storm. It was good. Now, our heroes, the disciples, find themselves in a similar predicament when we join them in Mark chapter 4 this morning, okay? Let's read it together. I'll read it. You can listen. (laughs) That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Now, these disciples get in these boats. There's other boats with them, so I'm not thinking that all 12 disciples are in this boat together with Jesus. 13 guys in a boat. In fact, um, they they dug this boat up on the Sea of Galilee several years ago. Sea of Galilee receded about four or five feet, uncovering this boat in the mud. 
They dug it up. It's called the Jesus boat. You can see it in Israel today. You can see this is the kind of boat, at least the ruins of a boat that Jesus would have been uh, sailing in with his disciples. It's about 20 feet long. It's about six feet wide. If I was in this boat during a squall, I'd probably be really freaking out, right? Here's how it probably looked if you could, you know, build it out a little further. A few guys in the boat going along the Sea of Galilee. Um, Now, it doesn't tell us exactly how many people were in the boat, but we know these boats are sailing along. This squall breaks out. Now, I've been in the Sea of Galilee. It's actually like Pastor Greg said a few weeks ago, 600 feet below sea level at at the top of the Sea of Galilee. So the warm winds of the desert mix with the cold air of the, of the water and squalls break out like that. One morning I was in the Sea of Galilee sailing along in a much bigger boat than this one and a squall broke out. This wind came and we were suddenly in three to four foot waves in this little sea, in this little lake. It's crazy, okay? It's a unique location. Now basically, if you think about these guys, most of them were fishermen, right? At least four of them were. I wonder if the fishermen knew how to swim better than the rest of them. The rest were landlubbers. I wonder how the tax collectors were feeling, the zealots were feeling, some of the other folks were feeling as they were riding along in this thing. And somewhere in the middle of the lake, the storm of the century hits, the squall breaks up, and these disciples get afraid. Look at Mark chapter 4 again. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So basically, these guys are afraid. In fact, Luke tells us they were in great danger. They were fearful for their lives. I love the fact that Jesus is sleeping on a cushion in the back of the boat, perfectly peaceful, not affected by the storm whatsoever. Now, if you think about it, life is full of storms. I'm not referring to the kind of storms that come like, you know, they came the other day with the rain going sideways and the storms I've been talking about. I'm talking about different kinds of storms. Some of those storms are really big. Some of those storms are really small. Some storms come upon us really suddenly, and they kind of peter out as nothing at all. Others come upon us slowly and eventually just overwhelm our lives. You know the kind of storms I'm talking about, right? Suddenly there's a disease that strikes you or a family member. You might wake up and lose your job one day. Your kids spill the milk all over the floor. You come home from your Christmas vacation to a flooded basement. You suffer from depression or anxiety you break an arm or a leg or suffer from a broken heart. Your cat decides to go on the floor instead of the litter box. You know what I'm talking about? Your dog chews up one of your new shoes. Your kids play with that special family heirloom and it breaks into a thousand pieces on the floor. You go out one morning in your pajamas to take your kids to school. You get in an accident and find yourself standing along the side of the road filling out accident reports in your pajamas. This was my mom back in the day. You get a call from the principal that your kid is not acting or behaving like they should be at school. And this isn't the first time your teenage son comes home drunk. Your spouse has an affair. Your marriage is falling apart. You pull your car into the driveway. It's a slope driveway sloping toward the street. You forget to put it in park. And by the time you realize it, the car is across the street plowing into the telephone pole on the other side of the road. That was me actually doing that. You prepare a class, you go to teach it, the whole thing flops. You go for a physical, they tell you they got to do some more tests. You have an all-out brawl with a family member. Your in-laws show up unexpectedly and say they're staying for a whole week. You open a box of your kids' new toys and it says, some assembly required. The car breaks down at a time when you have no money to fix it. No one is exempt from the storms of life. Some look terrible at the outset. 
but then they kind of turn out okay. Others really can wreck your life. Now, I believe this story in Mark. I believe that these disciples are not in this storm by some accident. I believe Jesus led them into the storm on purpose. What? You mean Jesus leads people in the storms on purpose? Yeah. You know why? Because Jesus knows that in the storm is when you experience him in ways you never experience him when life is just regular and going right along. So I don't think it's any accident these guys find themselves in a squall in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the evening because I believe Jesus is trying to actually display himself to these guys in ways they never would have experienced him in their everyday, regular lives. That's what storms do, right? They make us experience Jesus in whole new ways. They make us tune into him in whole new ways in our head and our heart and our spirits. So this morning, I want to talk to you about four ways that we experience Jesus in the storm. The first one is the, the, the presence of Jesus. We experience the presence of Jesus in the storm. Now, these Hebrew boys grew up with a strong theology of the presence of God. Uh, there's a doctrine called the ever-presence of God, which tells us in our heads we know that we cannot go anywhere on planet Earth, anywhere in the universe, where we can get away from God, right? But these particular boys grew up with a much stronger theology of the presence of God. It's found in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. If you look at this, you know this particular blessing, right, that Aaron was told to give to the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That word for face... That actually is the word for the big P presence of God. So it's one thing to know that God is present everywhere. It's another thing to experience his presence right here in front of you right now that you can so tangibly, you can touch it. Okay? These boys understood this. This prayer was that God would look at his people and he'd be present with them wherever they went. Now these disciples are in the boat with Jesus, but they probably don't even realize who he totally is yet, right? They're in the boat with him. They're hanging out with him, but they're not quite sure. They don't realize that the presence of God is literally in the boat with them. They don't fully trust it. So when the storm hits, their first response is, don't you care if we drown, teacher? What a prayer that is. Don't you love that prayer? They wake him up, don't you care if we drown? I I think a lot of people in the world that go through storms feel that way. They look up at God and go, hey, where are you? Don't you know what I'm going through? Don't you care if I drown? Are you asleep? What's happening? It's one thing to know in your head that God is with you. It's another thing to experience it in your heart, in your soul, deep within, right? When you're in the middle of the storm, what you need more than anything is the presence of God. You need to know that Jesus is with you that he is alongside you. The Hebrews actually have this phrase. They yell this out in prayer. Zehekah! Zehekah! And any Hebrew says when anyone on planet earth yells that phrase to God with that kind of passion, needing help from God, that God's face snaps in their direction. Sometimes when you're in the storm, You need to yell out to God to get his attention. You need to tell him to look at you. Now, my daughter, Lena, when she was about two years old, she taught me this lesson about yelling out for God to look at at me. 
She was on my lap one night. I was watching the football game, and she was chattering at me, you know, chattering. And I was doing the good dad thing. I was looking at her going, "Uh uh-huh, 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 and then looking over her shoulder at the football game. (laughs) You've done this? You've seen this happen? Yeah. So I'm up there going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, like this. And she could figure out that, that this wasn't going so well, and she grabbed me by the cheeks, and she pulled my cheeks and said, Daddy, look at me. And she held my face there, and then she kept talking. Sometimes when you're in a storm, Daddy, look at me. I need you to look in my direction. I need you to know you're with me. Now, I don't know all your stories. I don't know what you came in here carrying, but I'm guessing that some of you are in the middle of the storm. And you have to trust that Jesus might have led you there for a reason. Because he wanted to show you his presence his face in ways you'll never experience it unless you're in the middle of the storm. The second way we experience Jesus in the storm is we experience the power of Jesus in the storm. Most people in the church kind of believe in an impotent Jesus. We don't really know if Jesus can really step into our storms and change anything. We don't even really pray like we believe Jesus can change anything. We don't even ask him for anything really that big. We just kind of keep it on the download so that our, you know, we can't be disappointed when things don't work out like we had hoped. Look at these disciples in the boat here. He got up, so they go to him, they shake him, they wake him up. Now, I got to go back here a second. Can you imagine the discussion in that boat? Who's going to wake him up? (laughs) Peter, you wake him up. You're the leader. I'm not the leader. Andrew, you wake him up. You introduce me to him. You know, John and James, you guys are the sons of thunder. You wake them up. I can just imagine this whole thing. You know, who's going to wake them up? And finally someone shakes them and says, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And I love this. He gets up. He doesn't even talk to the disciples. He talks to the wind and the waves. So he says, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. Said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Can you imagine being in that boat? Can you imagine this? You're in this, this water that's churning. This, this guy gets up from his nap and he goes, quiet, be still. And the whole thing goes, Phew. I mean, whoa. That must have been unbelievable. What an experience. That would have rocked my world. The power of God unleashed through the hands of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul writes about a storm in his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When you're in the storm and you're weak and broken, it allows Jesus to be Jesus and you to be you. It's awesome to rely on the power of God. When you have nothing else to do, when you've got nowhere else to turn, Jesus, can you help me out? And it's interesting because when you pray that prayer, Jesus shows up. And he doesn't always show up like you expect it to be. So my brother Chris, I told you about him a few weeks ago. He lives in a wheelchair. He's 13 years younger than I am. He's got cerebral palsy. And he's gone through all kinds of things. He's lived in a wheelchair his whole life. He's a phenomenal kid. He's, he's 
gotten his degree at Hope College typing papers with his feet. Um, he talks in a machine using his feet, so he's, a, he's an amazing guy. But part of his problem is, is that his hands are spastic like this, and, and it would dig into his thumb all the time. He'd be digging into his thumb and ripping the skin loose. So we tried gloves. My parents tried gloves. They tried all kinds of treatments. Nothing would work. So eventually they, they decided with the therapist, if they cut the muscle out of this thumb so that it couldn't pull in, through surgery, it would, it would keep the fingers clear. So they took Chris in. They cut through his thumb here. They removed the muscle. And now here's the problem. If you're Chris, you can't lay still. So your body constantly twitches and moves. So he's, now he's had this surgery. He's had both of his thumbs cut open. And now he's in the bed. And he's just twitching and moving. And, and, and it's, it's, it's tough to watch, to be honest. I'll never forget this. Because we were praying that Jesus would show up. And our pastor showed up. His name was Everett. And he walked over to the bed. He didn't talk to any of us. He grabbed Chris's wrist and he held it still and he just stood there. Didn't say a word. And then I saw a tear run down his cheek and he said to Chris, Chris, I feel it, Chris. I feel it. I believe that day Jesus showed up in Chris's room. He didn't fix his thumbs. He didn't take away the pain. He didn't make it all better. But he sent Everett Fixie, our pastor, to minister to Chris in that moment and to display the power of the Lord in his life in the middle of the storm. If you are living through a storm right now, I believe Jesus wants to display his power in your life. You just have to ask. Just have to ask. The third experience of Jesus is this one, experiencing the life-shaping work that Jesus wants to do in the lives of his people. Jesus is doing a mighty work in the lives of these disciples. He wants these guys to be world changers. He wants them to be disciple makers. He knows that they're going to go through much more difficult storms in the future, being his disciples, his missionaries, his kingdom builders. So I believe he leads them into this storm because he knows that he's got to get them ready to deal with storms. He has to get them ready to be in storms and know how to do this. He has to shape them through the storm. A lot of people, when they get in the storm, they kind of buy into the enemy's lie that God has left them, that God doesn't care, that God's not with them anymore. You know this verse, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Think about that. All things, really? Everything that happens to you, God's at work. Every storm in your life, God's at work. Now, Satan loves to tell you that he's not at work. He doesn't give a hoot that he's left you. He's he's done. He loves to ask these questions. Why would a loving God put you through this? Where is this Jesus? Doesn't he care if you drown? Yeah. And the promise rings in our ears, all things. All things. That's really hard to believe. John Piper says it this way, the suffering of sickness and the suffering of persecution have this in common. They are both intended by Satan for the destruction of our faith and governed by God for the purifying of our faith. In order to understand and weather the storms and grow through them, you have to believe that Jesus is actually leading you there for a reason. He's doing something in you. He's working out his purposes in your life. 
He's making something happen to you that can't happen unless you're in the storm. Now, you might think that this preacher up here has never been in any storms. You know, you think, well, you know, great that you can talk about this, but I've actually been through a lot of storms in my life. Uh, the most recent one was my last ministry job. I spent the last two years going through quite a difficult storm. The, the things we were trying to do weren't really working. Um, there was some conflict in the staff. There was all kinds of things. I won't even get into all the specifics. It doesn't matter. I can tell you this. I was flying home from California, and I was acting like I was like a little boy, afraid of the storm, crying about the storm, whining about the storm. I was doing all that in the plane on the way home from California where I was working with a church out there. I was reading this book by Mike Breen, and in the book, Mike Breen says, when you get in the storm, typically your response is to try to get out of the storm as fast as possible. But if you do that, you miss the goal that God has for you in the, in the middle of the storm. So this quote was in the book. I'm going to read it to you. It's on the screen. Our natural inclination towards self-preservation makes us want to get out of the pit as soon as possible. Of course, that's a natural, instinctive human reaction. But I'd suggest we can take a different posture. Instead of the posture that says, God, get me out of here as quickly as possible, we step fully into the process and say, God, don't let me leave this place until I've learned what it is you have to teach me. So that morning on the plane flying home from California, I vowed that I would stay in the storm as long as it took for God to shape me and mold me into a different kind of person, to do the work he wanted to do in me, to find the gold in the storm. So are any of you trying to get out of your storm before God gives you the gold? Maybe you need to tell God that you're willing to rest in that storm, be in that storm, hang out in that storm until he accomplishes his work within you. The final experience that these disciples have of Jesus, they experience the fear of the Lord. Look at this next verse, verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So they go from being terrified of the storm to now being terrified of the guy in the boat with them. <laughs> right? They go from freaking out about the storm to going, oh my goodness, who's in the boat with us? We had no idea. My, my picture is, you know, the fear of the Lord is actually the reverence of God, right? It's when you kind of get in this position because there's no other way to sort of posture yourself when you realize that God's so amazing that the only thing you can do is get on your knees before him and say, Lord, whoa, whoa. I think that's what these disciples were doing in the boat, kind of. They were like awestruck by this Jesus, right? I love this because in the Old Testament, the book of Job, Job has this experience. You know Job's story, right? He goes through all this stuff. At the very end of the story, he says this, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I love that. It's in the storm that you actually see Jesus for who he really is. And when you do, you are struck with awe and worship and his amazing presence in your life. Now, I have a story that kind of, I think, wraps all these things up in a nice bow, hopefully. Years ago, I was a traveling speaker to youth, and I was speaking right after 9-11. So the 9-11 thing happened, and I was speaking the very next weekend in Canada. 
And the plane flights wouldn't fly internationally during that time because they had limited where the flights could go. So I could fly to Buffalo, New York and drive into Canada, but I couldn't fly into Canada. So I got on a plane. Someone said to me, aren't you afraid of flying? I said, no, I'm actually more afraid of the people that pick me up at the airport. (laughs) So I flew into Buffalo, New York, and I started looking for my ride. And I was sitting by this door, and finally this little old guy pulls up in a pickup truck. He's a flower farmer with a Dutch accent. And he tells me to get in. He looks a little irritated because he couldn't find me right away. So he's kind of irritated with me now. Kind of lost him. And he starts to drive down the highway. Doesn't have too many words to say. So I just say, okay, I'll play along. And I'm just looking out the window. But I noticed something really strange. Every so often, the car would just kind of jerk. So I thought, what is going on? Are we like, I don't know. So I looked over and I saw that he had one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake. Every once in a while, I just get it mixed up. So 55 miles an hour, we're just kind of jerking down the road like this. And I'm like, okay, this is good. It's good. I, mean, I can do this. So hour and 45 minutes later, we get to the youth convention. I speak for the three or four days I'm there. I, I tell the people in the youth convention, look, guys, um, I really need to get a, a, a good driver to the airport because I'm, I'm really on a tight schedule to get to my son's baseball game. So, you know, if you could arrange a good driver, well, guess who my driver was? Same guy. This time he has his son's pickup truck and he's, uh, it's pouring rain. So we get going on the highway and we're up on the Buffalo uh, Thruway, which is this raised highway up above the city. We're heading for the airport and suddenly the car starts to slow down. I mean, I've gotten used to the jerky now, so it doesn't even affect me, but the car starts slowing down. I look over, I say, what's going on? He goes, I don't know, the car is dying. And we die out in the right-hand lane of traffic on this expressway with no shoulder to the road up on this highway, this lifted highway. And all of a sudden I realized pretty quickly, this is not good. Because there are trucks coming behind us that don't see us. It's pouring rain, flashers are on, one truck slams his brakes and stops literally feet from our bumper. We get the car started, we creep forward enough to get him around us. I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to end. I'm doing your work here, this is not good. So I started saying, Lord, you gotta help me out. And then I remembered next to me on the seat was this. I've been given this in the rain on the way to the car by some kids, youth band kids. They had worshiped God the whole weekend using these flags. They had danced around and sung with these flags. And they gave me this flag and I had rolled up and set it next to myself on the seat. So I said to my friend, hey, you stay right here. I'll be right back. I got behind the truck started doing this. <sighs> Within 10 minutes, a cop showed up. He goes, how long you been here? I go, man, we've been here like 10 minutes. He said, we've almost been knocked off this bridge like six times. He goes, that doesn't surprise me. We've had six people knock off this bridge in the last six months. <sighs> the cool thing is, Jesus already knew what I needed before I ever got in the storm. And he provided it for me. This dumb blue flag. I've never, I've never put this away. I've kept this all these years. This flag. The presence of Jesus in my life right when I needed him to be present. Showing his power. Showing up. Doing his work to keep me alive on a bridge in Buffalo, New York. That's how this works. Now, it'd be great if I could end the sermon there, but I just can't. You know why? Because you and I that have been through the storm with Jesus in our boat, we have a responsibility to the world. 
Because there's a lot of people out there who are going through storms. And the enemy has told them that God is not with them. That God doesn't care. That he's given up on them. And they should give up on themselves and give up on the world and give up on their lives. And we have a responsibility because we've experienced Jesus in our boats and we've seen his power at work to go out into the world and chase the storms and go into people's lives and make a difference there. We have a responsibility to wave this flag and say, hey, God is still with you. He's still here. He hasn't left you. He loves you. He cares for you. Every storm that happens in real life creates heroes. People that decide to act like rescuers instead of victims. So when the hurricane hit Houston years ago, James McInvale opened his mattress store and let people sleep inside of his mattress store. I don't even know James McInvale's faith story. I don't even care. Because James McInvale that day acted like Jesus. He opened his doors in the middle of the storm and said, come in here, you can find refuge from the storm in my mattress store. That's what we're supposed to be as the church, right? We're supposed to be the refuge from the storm, the presence of Jesus in people's lives who need to know that he is still with them. Okay? So we're going to do that, right? Church, you with me? All right, good. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being in the boat with us. Thank you that at some point, at some point in our lives, you crawled into our boat and you are there present with us. Thank you for modeling a life of trust, sleeping calmly through the storms. Lord, this morning, I especially pray for anyone who's going through a really difficult storm in their life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would show up for them today, that you would assure them that you're with them, that you would display your power in some way. And thank you, Lord, for the mission you've given us to get out and help others who find themselves in the storm. In your name we pray, amen.